0: Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news, but I need your help. I was nominated for a Webby Award, which for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for more than two years might remember I was nominated for two years ago and tried desperately to win the People's Choice Award then, which I didn't. Um, But at that time, I was like going to the guy at Joe and the Juice behind the counter asking him to vote for me and anyone I could. So now I'm coming to all of you to ask you to please vote for Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to win the People's Choice Webby Award for Best Live Podcast. If you go to vote.webbyawards.com, again, that's w e b b y webbyawards.com and then go to the little magnifying glass search thing on the upper right. All you have to type in is search my name or entry and just type in moms and it will come up and then you can click on the best live podcast recording nominee and vote for me. Also, by the way, I won honoree for best influencer, which is crazy. Anyway, thank you for voting. I really, really would appreciate it. I would love to win the People's Voice Award, especially after trying so hard and failing two years ago. So if you could just take a few minutes and vote, I would be so grateful. You could email me after if you want at info at and I will say thank you to you via email myself Because I'm so grateful. So, email me if you've done it, um, post about it. Um, I'm just, I would be so grateful. Thank you. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Oh my gosh, this discussion I had with Mark K. Shriver, who's the author of Ten Hidden Heroes, a counting book with a message, was so powerful. I sat at dinner that night and talked to everybody about how amazing it was, especially when he cried talking about a setback he had and his son. And oh my gosh, it was amazing. Anyway, I'm so inspired by Mark and I hope you will be too. Here's his bio. Mark K. Shriver is the president of Save the Children Action Network in Washington, D.C., He created the Choice Program and is a former Maryland state legislator. He is the author of Pilgrimage, My Search for the Real Pope Francis, and the New York Times bestselling memoir, A Good Man, Rediscovering My Father, Sergeant Shriver, which received a 2013 Christopher Award. Shriver lives with his wife and three children in Maryland. Enjoy. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to Discuss 10 Hidden Heroes.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sid. Really appreciate it.
0: It's my pleasure. Okay, what made you write this book? Which, by the way, my son and I sat on my bed and spent like hours finding every little thing and then going through it. Thank you for the answer key and <laughs> everything at the end. Yes. What made you? Yes. What made you write the book?
2: Well, I don't think I can uh, say anything. That's, let's just stop the interview based on that first comment that you and your son spent so much time reading the book and looking for the heroes, because that's really what it's all about, right? I mean, you know, the idea kind of came about at the beginning of the pandemic, but I've always been really more interested in goodness than in greatness. And so many people in America, we focus on the concept of greatness, on power and prestige and celebrity and money. And I've, I'm really interested in the folks who do the small things that make our communities click, the you know, crossing guard that keeps our kids safe when they go to school, the guy who drives the trash truck and how he helps keep the community clean, the people who recycle and compost, and all the small gestures that I think that make our community whole. That's what the book is really about. It's a fun way of finding hidden heroes. It's kind of, you know, where's Waldo? But on each page, there's not just one guy dressed in a goofy outfit, but there are people of all races and abilities and backgrounds and faiths doing these small acts of love, Just corny as that is. It's these small acts of love that really came to the forefront at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think hope that will continue to be celebrated after we get through this pandemic because those are the people that are, in my mind, real heroes.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's no it's kind of like a mix of a Richard Scary book, yes. right, one of those where you f- have to find all the little things and an yes. activity book and and all of it. But I feel like nobody has done exactly what you're doing. I mean, exactly what you're saying with the different all these different ways of really appreciating. It's basically like an ode to it's appreciating so many people from Special Olympics, people who do races to I mean, all, it's just amazing. People well, in a you. science lab. I mean, this is what makes life worth living anyway, right? It's the people who take care of other people in some way. So,
2: Yeah. I mean, and I think all the great faiths talk about that, you know, whether it's Islam, Judaism, Christianity, they talk about feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, visiting those in prison, about repairing the world about bringing us all together and ultimately i think that's what's really important again you know in america we celebrate the super bowl winning quarterback ceo who has you know a private plane and five houses or the celebrity who just made a hundred million dollars but in my mind anyways those things are fleeting and having met and interacted with a lot of those people a lot of those people are honestly pretty miserable and you know i wrote a, a book to be on pope francis and he has a great quote in the last couple of months about the hidden saints who live next door who perform little acts of love, tiny acts of love that changed the world. And, you know, when I first read it, I'm like, you know, little, you know, the saint who lives next door uh, and, you know, little acts of love that change the history of the world. That's a lot of big language, but ultimately I think he's right. You know, it's these small acts, you know, somebody, you mentioned the special Olympics athlete and somebody said, you know, their kid said, why is the special Olympics athlete a hero? And we purposely put in the book, Special Olympics athlete from Israel, arm in arm with a Special Olympics athlete from the United Arab Emirates. And a couple years ago in the UAE, in Abu Dhabi, we had the International Special Olympic Games, a stadium filled with 80,000 people cheering athletes from all around the world. And the UAE doesn't recognize the country of Israel. Yet when the athletes from Israel, Special Olympics athletes from Israel walked into that stadium, they got a standing ovation. And there is the Special Olympics athletes, you know, leading the way. They're teaching us acceptance. They're knocking down these walls of misunderstanding and prejudice just because of where you're from. And that's why the Special Olympics athletes are hidden heroes. And they're they're not only great athletes and great competitors, but they're showing us how to really love each other and how to build a stronger community.
0: So what... This is all obviously very true and amazing. How did you get involved in this? Like, why take your time to do this message? I know you lead Save the Children. Like, how did you become so invested in in helping others?
2: Well, you know, my mom and dad really are, are wonderful role models or were wonderful role models for me and still are. And I, you know, I learned from them. You know, to this day, even though they're both no longer with us physically, they're definitely with me emotionally and spiritually. And I learned from them, you know, how to interact with our kids, how they interacted with me when I was 21, 22, 23, or, you know, our youngest daughter, 16. And they helped us not only when they were alive, when we were raising our children, but obviously still today. And they, you know, did these things on a great big scale. My father started the Peace Corps under President Kennedy. My mother started Special Olympics, which, as you know, we've talked about, is all around the world now. My father created Head Start, Legal Services, Job Corps, Vista—all these programs under President Johnson. But what really impressed me the most about them was the way they, you know, treated everyday people—not just uh, President of the United States or cardinals or senators or governors or big shots, so to speak—but you know how they interacted with the waitress at their favorite restaurant or the guy at the U.S. air counter who, you know, I know still today, Edwin DeBus tells me about how my father had Alzheimer's, would so polite to him when Edwin helped him through the airport security system. And, you know, they, they treated people, you know, well every day. And those are role models for me. And I got into working with kids in college. Came out, worked with kids in juvenile delinquent, uh, kids who are you know, charged as juvenile delinquents in Baltimore City, and now have been at Save the Children for almost 18 years. I can't believe it. We run programs all across America and around the world, but here in America, focused on education and since the pandemic hit on uh, feeding kids because so many kids in our country rely on school for breakfast and lunch. It's amazing, Zippy, right, that the richest country in the history of the world feeds so has to feed so many children because they're food insecure, which really means they're hungry. So, Save the Children is is feeding kids. We're feeding them, filling their bellies and filling their minds um, all across rural America. And this book seemed to be almost kind of a natural transition from that. You know, I've just been involved with children and interacting with kids and trying to affect systemic change or investment, really, public dollars in children for my whole career. And this was a fun book to do. And we did it as a family during COVID. A lot of those heroes, Zivi, are ideas that our children put in there that my wife, Jeannie, was suggested as well. And the writing, you know, Jeannie made really strong edits to it. So it was a family affair. It was fun. And I hope it brings people, I hope people have fun as you are doing with your son. Also, they have great conversations about what constitutes a real hero these days.
0: Yeah, there were some where I feel like I found some heroes, but they weren't in your list at the end. And I was like, I That's don't correct. know, I call that a hero, but I, it looks like I was wrong. So forget it. I don't know. No,
2: no, no. You're right. You're right. They, we, we slipped in a couple extra heroes on some of those pages. Okay. I'm like, wait a minute, we're on three hidden heroes, but there's like five here. And, they're like, you know, so we, we had some fun. It's wow. We're not playing by the rules that closely. There's, there, there's some fun ones in there. I'm glad you found them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm like a, you know, a rule follower. I'm like, I have to get this right. You know, <laughs> perfectionist or something.
2: <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's
0: okay. That's okay. It's all right. We, we got past it. <laughs> so how do you instill So I love that you said that, that your parents obviously with modeling what they did in their life, but there, it has to be, and obviously with how they treat sort of everyday people everywhere. I mean, everybody, every interaction is just as important. How do you, as a dad, make sure to do the same with your own kids?
2: You know, I wrote this book on my father after he died 11 years ago, and it's called A Good Man because I think he was ultimately a good man in addition to being a great man. But it's, it's harder in my mind to be a good man when no one's looking. You know, some of the, these celebrities or politicians or people in the public are, you know, great in public, but when they're in private, they're not as good. And, you know, my daughter, who's about 14, said to me at the end of it, Oh, I'm going to write a book on you too when you get old, Dad. And I said, Oh, thanks. And I said, What are you going to call it? And he, she said, An okay dad. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking she was going to say like mediocre or you know, yeah. like totally average, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, you got to the punchline before I did. So it's, you know, I'm trying, uh, my wife and I try every day to, you know, model that behavior, but to also do it with a lot of fun. You know, my parents, people say, well, how do they work till they were in their mid 80s? And, you know, my father into his, almost into his 90s. And I said, well, I don't think they really thought they were going to work. I mean, I think they found so much joy Uh, which is different than fun, but they found so much joy in their work that it really wasn't work. I, I think they really believed that God is in every interaction and that God is in not only this conversation, but God is when you go to the restaurant, you talk to the waitress, God is in that interaction. And I know it sounds a little corny and I'm not trying to, you know, evangelize anyone here, but I think they really believed that every day was a chance to make the world a little bit better. And that got them fired up and they went to you know mass for catholic they went to mass every day got on their knees and you know they realized they weren't god which is a pretty big deal because i think a lot of people in america anyways particularly men think we're god like and we're not and my mother and father knew it they knew they needed help they knew they needed their associates their colleagues people all to make the world a little better and Jeannie and i my wife and i tried to do that every day we are not doing it. It's a struggle. But I think if you show that joy, your kids figure out what brings real joy and meaning into your life, at least I hope. And I hope that you know they find work that is fulfilling and fulfills their soul as well, because you're going to pop out of bed if you're doing that kind of work. If you're not, you're going to be dragging your butt around.
0: It's true. It's a gift to be able to do what you love. Right? It's uh, very interesting. Yeah, you-
2: huge you know so we try i mean we you know i drive the kids nuts about five times a year we go and pick up trash on the road right around the corner here and we recycle it you know we compost in the backyard have a a barrel that we put all of our vegetable scraps in and fruits and vegetables you know there's a powerful story the pope told about when you see a homeless person you you know walk in the opposite direction Or do you look them in the eye and, you know, give them a dollar or two dollars? Do you ask them their name? And, you know, that had a profound impact on me about six years ago because I work in in Washington, D.C. And, you know, for the most part, frankly, I tried to avoid homeless people. I thought, you know, they smell or they're mentally ill or I'm too busy because I got really important stuff to do. I'd save the children. In reality, I'm not that busy. I, you know, you can always take two minutes to be kind to people and you learn from them. And, you know, try to model that behavior with our kids as well. Slow down and appreciate the human being in front of you rather than, you know, think you're more important or be nervous. I mean, my mother, then I'll shush, I promise. My mother, This is your
0: interview. Don't shush. uh, I mean, you know, people aren't here to
2: listen to me. I'm rambling. I'm rambling. But my mom started Special Olympics, right? And she would often have Special Olympics athletes over at our house, you know, playing games with us, you know, playing sports. She had someone actually help in the house, Goldie, who had developmental disabilities. So, you know, you know, some of my friends who got older were like, you know, I don't want to hang out with people who have developmental disabilities. I never met anybody like that. What do they like? It's like completely natural because we grew up with people like that. And there were Peace Corps volunteers in our house. So all of my family's exposure to that, you know, to those people of all different backgrounds, of all different skills, of all different nationalities almost became a second nature just because my parents involved them in our lives. So we try to do that with our kids as well, expose them to different faiths, expose them to different uh, people of different backgrounds, different colors, because that's what makes the world so exciting and joyful.
0: Wow. I don't know if you have met the author Kelly Corrigan or not, but she has yes. a Okay. Have you have yes. you seen her book that's coming out now? Are you doing an event together I, or something? Because you should. I, I,
2: we are not doing an event. She's a pal. I've done a couple of events with her and other you know, speaking arrangements. And she's a pal. And she actually blurbed this book on Amazon. You can see her endorsement of it. She's wonderful. And she sent me a copy of her book too. Yeah, it's fantastic. Sorry. It, I cut no, you off.
0: No, no. I interviewed her yesterday for the second time, actually. And I adore her. But she... I feel like you have the same, you used a different means to the same end, right? Like her philosophy still through kids is, is asking questions, right? Cause that's how you get to know those people, the same people you're talking about, right? Yes. Take it a step further, like find out about them and then you'll realize your commonalities or what's interesting about them or whatever. And, and I don't know, I feel like your these two books should be sold sort of like as a you know, raise empathetic kids package. You know, <laughs> if you want to raise well, empathetic kids, you know, take these two books.
2: Well, thank you. I mean, it's a huge compliment for me. She's a fantastic writer. She's got uh, so much positive energy as well. And thank you for reminding me. I'm, I'll reach out to her. I haven't talked to her in a couple of weeks. You know, she she's right. You know, my, my mom used to say that if you're sitting with somebody and you find them boring, that's your own fault because everybody's got a great story and everyone has got something to share. And if you can't get that from them, that's because you didn't ask a question. You weren't curious enough. You weren't that engaged. It puts a little pressure on you at cocktail parties or at dinners, but she's 100% right. You know, everybody's got a story. Everybody's got wherever they're from, you know, and everybody's got something that they can teach you and that we can learn from each other. But you have to ask those questions. You have to be curious. You have to probe. That's, I think, what makes it really fun. It's what makes life fun. And that's why I think my parents were so joyful. It's because, you know, my father not only asked questions, but he listened, which is really hard to do sometimes, uh, Zibby, right? You know, people, they want to tell you their answer right away, or they want to jump in and interrupt you, like I've done to you a couple of times already. But really listen and to hear what people are saying from their perspective is hard. My father said it was the hardest thing to do. So, you know, learning these Things from my parents are still so helpful in my life.
0: Well, first of all, I have to say, I've done like, I don't know, 600 some odd interviews, and I've never spoken to anybody who has spoken so much about their own parents as role models as you. So, whatever they did was like, (laughs) you know, they did something right along the way. I mean, this is what a testament to their parenting and your relationship to, you know, have them so infused in every moment on so top of mind and everything. And I'm sorry for the loss that, you know, that they're not with us. It's obviously, you know, huge piece. Is there anything in terms of asking probing questions? What am I missing about your life? What big thing did we not discuss? There must have been something, some moment, something somewhere that is part of your big story or a small story.
2: That's a great question. I mean, I, I didn't have any, you know, life changing experience like, you know, getting uh, like Saul on the road to Damascus. You know, getting knocked off his donkey and, you know, seeing God. I mean, I've had, you know, a number of, you know, defeats which I think, you, you know, I learned a lot from, you know, you talked about the loss of, of one's parents, you know, we, so many of us have to go through that pain, you know, they're not physically here with me. In, in this room, I got promoted up to our son's room when he went back to college. You know, they're not in this house, but they're in, you know, my heart. And I, I as I said earlier, you know, continue to learn from them. And, I, and I've learned from my defeats as well, as painful as they are, I, you know, I ran for the United States Congress because I was in the Maryland state legislature for eight years and ran for Congress, lost a very, very close election, you know, a couple thousand votes that stung, you know, our boy at that point, Tommy was, I don't know, six years old. I used to listen to U2, the band and had a great song at that point called It's a Beautiful Day. So I used to mm-hmm. sing it to him all the time. And we walked out of the restaurant where we had breakfast the day after the loss and the wind was whipping and was chilly. And a little Tommy had a lisp and he put his arms out and he stopped us. My wife, Jeannie, and I and our daughter Molly. Emma wasn't born yet. He said, Dad, it's a beautiful day. (laughs) And and I'm like, you know what? It is. I lost yesterday. Today's a beautiful day. It's time to roll. You know, you gotta if you can keep that every day is a beautiful day kind of thing going on there. Sorry, I get a little choked up when I think about that little kid. But that's like, you know, it's a beautiful day and there's, a, there's pain in it, you know, but I'll go back to Pope Francis for a second, Zippy. He talks about mercy. You know, at first I thought mercy was, you know, writing a bigger check, being nice to somebody. And really what mercy is about is, you know, accompany people on their journey in life to listen, to, you know, see the beauty in every interaction and be with people in moments of joy, but also moments of sadness. And, you know, little Tommy at that moment was saying, it's a beautiful day. Let's roll. Let's you know, celebrate what we have. So that was good. That's good stuff, I think.
0: <laughs> See, I wouldn't have known that story. And that was like the greatest thing. I mean, that makes me rethink how I'm living my day today, right? It's, it is because it's a beautiful day today. And every all the bad stuff, right? It's all perspective yeah. and the gift of another. day. It
2: is. And yeah, you're right. It's all perspective. And we're coming out of a tough 12, 13, 14 months here with a lot of pain, a lot of economic pain, a lot of emotional pain, a lot of racial pain. But I think we can come out of this stronger if we all realize the pain we've been through collectively and, you know, work together rather than, you know, go back into our tribes or into our corner or, you know, it be a Democrat or Republican or gay or straight or conservative or liberal, all that labels are easy to assign to people. It's knocking down those labels and really getting to know each other that's hard. That hard work is joyful work. And that's beautiful. You know, I think it is. I hope it is. That's what I think. It
0: is. Yes, of course. And so important. I mean, essential, more than important, like mandatory.
2: No, and that's what, you know, 10 Hidden Heroes is about. The book is, it's really about trying to elevate those people who are doing that work that, you know, they don't get paid a lot of dough. They don't get end up on the front page of the newspaper or on television. But they're, they're doing the good, hard work of keeping our community whole. And what this book is about, it's not a preachy book. It's supposed to be fun but to raise up those people and their work to
0: do. Last question for you. What advice would you have for aspiring authors now that you're a children's book author, all of your other books, everything? What, what would your advice?
2: It's really hard work. As you know, Zippy, it's, it's tough. It's lonely, you know, uh, I'm reading this book that Robert Carroll wrote about, it's called Working, and it's really good about how he, you know, wrote, he's written a couple of books in his life, they've all won the Pulitzer Prize, they took him years and years and years to write, because he kept digging around, asking questions, trying to get the full story to be as objective, as comprehensive as possible. And it's a lonely job. But you know, I think somebody said to me once, everybody's got a book in them. And I've got a couple of friends who have written and self-published and, you know, they don't sell as many books as they want to sell. That's OK, because you're getting your voice out there. And if you have that story to tell, you got to get it out of you. So sit down, you know, struggle with it. I mean, you know, I wrote the book on, on a pad of paper and then, you know, typed it up and then went through, you know, editing, editing, editing is relentless. I mean, you know, eight, nine rounds of edits. Because every word if it's written really well makes a difference. And in a children's book in which there is literally, you know, 40 or 50 sentences, every word makes a difference. And I think that's true if you're writing 40 words or, you know, 50,000. So if you're writing and you're struggling, go for it. Keep at it. You know, stay positive. It's hard and it can be really lonely, but when you write something that you think is great, wow, it's anyways for me, I don't know that I've written anything great, but I've gotten I wrote the other books, wrote off in Saturday morning at you know, six o'clock in the morning and come up at you know, nine and be so fired up that, this, you know, 10 sentences went together. My wife thought I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I guess I was because it was, you know, it's just great to get that out of you, out of your heart, out of your soul. So I hope if you're anybody's watching who's struggling in writing, stay at it because it's, it's worth all of the, the hard work. Wow. And don't worry about how many people buy the book because that's not really what it's about. It's about getting your thoughts on paper and leaving them there for forever, really.
0: Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, Mark, thank you. Thank you so much for this really sort of deep and emotional and meaningful conversation that inspired by 10 Hidden Heroes. I'm not surprised, but delighted. So thank you for your time.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope I'll see you soon. Thank Thank you.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.